Good evening and welcome to Relationship Game Changers, where we're learning and praying about truths and principles that transcend race, gender, culture, denomination, marriages, and families. We're talking about things that are true on the individual level, on the group level, on the national level, uh, and on the world level, because truth, God's truth, his principles transcend all of these. And so we're excited to be a part of what God is doing. I believe this is one of the greatest opportunities that we have to become one in Christ, and that is to lay hold of those truths that bind us together rather than separate us as so much of the world and sometimes even in the church attempt to do. Well, tonight I want to talk about and pray about becoming the light part two. Now, scripture tells us we are the light, but also We must become the light, and you'll find that apparent as we talk further tonight. But just for an analogy, think about a newborn baby is fully human, uh, and yet that baby must mature or become fully uh, what it is that is human. But he has, a baby has all of the faculties of an adult and yet control or the development and control over none of them. And so we as Christians, we begin as newborn babes. We are fully kings and priests. We are fully the light of the world uh, and filling up what was remaining of Jesus' work here. And yet we must become that which we are. Guys, we got to do more than talk about it in this hour. Talking about Christ, talking about light, talking about the word will not be sufficient for what is coming. We must become the, uh, the indestructible word of God. We must become the indestructible word of God. The Bible says that Jesus became flesh, and as Jesus is, so are we. So we must become the indestructible word of God. But before we continue with this, let me just catch those up that might be listening for the first time. Uh, Over the past several months, we've been talking about reclaiming our sovereignty. So when Jesus died, he not only won our freedom, which we covet, I covet, I value, I want to see you excel in your freedom, but also he gave us the right and the ability to reclaim our sovereignty. And so what that means is that for every born-again believer has the right to govern or rule his or her own life. And hopefully our government will be in agreement with God and his word. But as you and I know, that is not always the case, even with us that profess Christ. And so my desire, as no is your desire, is to come into perfect alignment with the word and the will of God in our lives. So sovereignty, if we can just have just a simple definition, it's about rulership. It's about government. It's a governmental term. You usually hear about the sovereignty of God or nations being sovereign. Well, you are also sovereign as an individual in the sphere of authority that God has given you. So a sovereignty is the authority and the power to think decide and act for ourselves. And we learned this from what uh, uh, John 10, 17 through 19, and I'm not going to go there, but you can write it down. John 10, 17 
through 19. This is one of our foundational scriptures about sovereignty. I encourage you guys to memorize it, eat the scroll, and become it, receive it. But in essence, that, those verses say this, that the Father intensely loves Jesus because no one takes his life. He lays it down voluntarily only to take it up again. This commandment he received from the Father. Verse 19 goes on to say that there was division, that this statement, that this commandment caused division among the among the Jews. In other words, there was opposition to the sovereignty that Jesus Christ was proclaiming in response to the commandment of the Father. He said, this command, which means you and I ruling our own lives, is not an option. If we are a born-again Christian, it comes with the freedom package. And with that sovereignty and with that rulership, God expects us to be responsible people. So while we have license to do anything, it is not expedient or responsible that we do anything with our freedom. And so we've been saying to reclaim our sovereignty so we know what it is. It's ruling over yourself, what you think, how you, uh, how you feel, what you decide, how you behave, and hopefully, according to Philippians 2, yielding or surrendering all of that to the obedience of God. And then we talked about to reclaim our sovereignty, we must own our lives completely, we must define our lives clearly, um, and then we must lead ourselves well because we lead others best where we have led ourselves well. Where we have not led ourselves well, we will mislead others. So it's important not only that we own ourselves it, uh, completely, it's not, only, it's not just important that we define ourselves clearly. It is important because, because if we don't define ourselves, there is a ready batch of demonic spirits that operate through friends, family, and all of the above that are ready to define you and tell you who you are. Jesus never gave this right or authority to anyone else. And so we can learn about defining ourselves clearly by looking at Jesus and how he defined himself. And then lastly, we have to lead ourselves well. How we see ourselves is important. You know, in John uh, 6.35 um, I, we've been talking about it. And early on, I gave you a list of, I think, eight or nine things of how Jesus defined himself. And so, Father God, as we share tonight and pray your word, I pray, Father God, that you would infuse, Lord, not only my spirit but my soul and the things that you and I have practiced together and talked about together and you have been working out in me and fleshing out in me, God. Lord, make this apparent. But, Lord, most of all, may the love of God, Lord, permeate every word, God. May the love and the compassion of God attend to your truth. For, Lord, I believe these are people that desire to be to desire the truth, but not only to know the truth, but to become the truth, to be lovers of the truth after our after our brother and our Lord and Savior, 
Jesus Christ. Well, in John 6, 35, 41, and a few other times in John 6, Jesus declared himself and defined himself. He defined himself, and then he declared himself. So he saw himself as this, and then he declared it. And he declared himself. He said, I am the bread of life. So Jesus defined himself as bread, something edible, something that people could consume. And from there we go on and you and I, we take communion often in remembrance. We take the bread and the wine, symbolic of Jesus' body and his blood, and we do it. We eat these things in remembrance of him. So Jesus left us. He lived something edible. He lived in such a way that people could consume, people that desired could consume his life. And then the instruction he gave the disciples, which he repeated often with them, he took the bread, broke it, and served it. And then he makes the startling statement, I am the bread of life. And then an even more startling statement, he said, but man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So then we got to a couple weeks ago talking about Jesus defined himself as light in John eight twelve. He says, Jesus spoke to them again. Again, I remind you, these are Jesus' words, his own words. And he said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So again, Jesus is defining himself as something that could be used to improve the quality of our lives. So he defined himself as something that could be eaten, consumed, edible. Then he defined himself as something that, we, that was useful and necessary for making good decisions. We need light to make good decisions. So Jesus was very, very practical. It, it interests me that Jesus never referred to himself as an apostle. He never referred to himself as a prophet. He agreed with people who may have thought those things of him, but I can't find, and if you can, I'm certainly open to learn, where Jesus said, Jesus said, I am a prophet. I, don't, I just don't see it. And if it is by there, it is so remote and so scarce that it, it did not overshadow how many times he talked about being bread and lived as bread or light or any of the other things that we'll, we'll get to that he, he defined himself as. And so then last week, so then last week we started about, you know, Jesus is the light. As he is in the world, so are we. And this is the boldness that we'll have in the day of judgment. That's 1 John 4, 17. And so as at the beginning of today, I talked about becoming the light part two. So last week, as it relates to becoming the light, we left, we we got into, and I left you with John 3, uh, 17 through 21, but I'm just going to go back and read 316 through 21 so that you can see that the first thing you and I must do, and I, I say first thing only because it's the, the first thing you and I have discussed about becoming the light. I'm not saying per se this is the order, although this is the first conversation Jesus had about becoming light. And so in John 316, through verse 21, it says, for God, 
loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. And here's the thing, verse 19, this is the judgment, or this is the reason for the condemnation. This is the judgment that has been pronounced. The light has come into the world, Jesus speaking of himself, the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Oh, my gosh, what just jumped out at me as I read that is, so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. We tend to think all of the wonderful things we have done, but even your testimony is accomplished by God. So even those things that the enemy attempted to destroy you and I with, God says that he'll, that he'll turn around, that all things will work together for good. When picking up the baskets of bread, there were 12 baskets remaining after the miracle of the 5,000, and he said, nothing shall be wasted. And so even our badness, if I could say it that way, and coming to the light and allowing Jesus, allowing the Holy Spirit to deal with us, our testimony is what God accomplishes. So when people have said to me, wow, you've been through so much, you've been through a lot, and um, my, my God, and, and my response is, no, Jesus brought me through a lot because the testimony is about him bringing me through, not what I have gone through. So as long as we can keep the testimony and the glory to God, Oh, my gosh, our works now are being accomplished in God. I also think it's interesting that in this verse it talks about exposure because all across the body of Christ in many circles we're talking about exposure and I'm praying about exposure. But I find it interesting here that you and I have an opportunity to exercise our freedom by coming to the light. So we don't have to wait to be exposed. The Bible says that if we adhere or we live by the truth, we will have a desire. We will come to the light. That the desire to, for truth and to come to the light will overpower fear, our love for God. And, and we talked about last week why people don't come to the light. And there's some real legitimate reasons. I get it, guys. I get it why it's difficult to come to the light, but we want the testimony of Jesus to blanket this earth, and in doing so, we are helping to, not that his name isn't already famous, but we're adding to the crescendo of those witnesses that have seen the hand of God personally work in our lives. So how do we come to the light? We live by the truth. 
How do we become the light? We must come to the light. You can't become what you have not come to. So to become the light, we are the light, but to become the light, you must come to the light, and we come to the light by living by the truth, by responding to truth. You and I have often heard sermons where it feels like the person is speaking right. They've been in your house. They've never met you, but it's like they're speaking directly to you. That is the Holy Spirit prompting your response to truth. It's not so much about whether somebody's been in your house or read your mail. The real issue is what is your response to that happening. And so, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk, you know, more about the truth later because one of the things that Jesus defines himself, he said, I am truth. I am the truth, the way and light. So we'll talk about what it means to be truth. What does it mean to be truth? Not to know the truth, but to become the truth. We are truth, but we must become true to the truth. That means our inside must be true to what our mouth is saying on our outside, that our bodies must line up with the truth in our souls as it comes out of our mouth. John 14, 6, that's where he says, I am the truth, the way of the life. I love the book of John because it is the clearest to me, to me, just to me, this is my opinion, it's the clearest to me uh, of the explanation about how the divine nature works to, and manifest through a human being in Jesus Christ. The gospel of John is like no other of the three gospels. It talks more about the divine and Jesus' relationship with the divine than any other gospel. And if you and I are going to learn how to be human beings, listen to what I said, learn how to be human beings because religion has talked you out of being a human being. Let me say that again slowly. Religion talks you out of being a human being and leads you, can, leads you to believe that you can be spiritual by human effort. Let me say it one more time because some of you guys are reeling back and some of you guys, oh, my gosh, because the lights have gone on. Religion teaches you how not to be human. It teaches you how to follow a set of rules. It is dangerous. It is killing the people of God. And there is religion in every single denomination. That's why there are denominations. They are intended to divide and get you and I to operate according to rules that that particular denomination has, has lifts up almost as doctrine, as doctrine. It's scary. It's scary. And if you think, and I think, because we're filled with the Holy Spirit and speak with and speak in tongues, that that it has not affected us, then we are extremely naive at how Satan works. So I say that with a pause because it is integral. It is it is so important that you and I reclaim our sovereignty because many things. Immoral things are done in the name of religion, and if you don't have your sovereignty, then it will be difficult for God to speak to you as a sovereign being apart from anyone and anything else. He wants a people that, that are responsive to him such that 
I mean, this would be a miracle to me, maybe not to you, but just think that God speaks to each one of us sovereignly. And through no coordination of man, we all show up on Washington, D.C. At the same point in time, no one talked to anybody else. We just got there all by the Spirit of God. That would blow my mind and yours too. That's the kind of authority. That's the kind of presence. That's the kind of glory that God wants to be able to display in his people. OMG, we must have sovereignty. It doesn't mean that we don't participate. It doesn't mean we don't support. I support many things, but I have retained my sovereignty, my ability to think feel, decide, and act for myself, and surrender those things wholly to God. You know, glory is a two-edged sword, people. The word of God is a two-edged sword. It's a double-edged sword. It is a beautiful and powerful thing to the glory of God, and it, it, it can be destructive. Light can be destructive. Light can illuminate, but it can also destroy. Just think it's summertime. How many of you experience sunburn? How many of you perhaps might know someone that has gotten um, skin cancer as a result of, you know, the light? So I'm just saying to you guys that the word of God is devastatingly powerful to the glory of God and to the destruction of God's enemies. So we must become the light. It's not enough to talk about it. We must, we must become the light by coming to the light, and that means by surrendering to the truth. We must get in the light with the willingness to be seen. You take it a step further. You must be willing to be seen by God and those he has given you and given you to, to do anything else just to hide. When somebody tells me, oh, I talked about that, with God. God and I walked through and dealt with this particular sin in my life, and that issue or that sin has never been brought into the light of relationship with another human being. Guys, I'm just going to tell you here, research it for yourself in Scripture. I don't see where God, God may deal with a person in private, but that person is always brought into a relationship to develop beyond that thing, to grow in that thing, and that means that thing must be known. Paul was the same way. This is not where I meant to go today. But let me just say, and I don't have the scriptures right in front of me, but you can search this out yourself as well. Paul, when he first became a Christian, he said, I didn't go to the apostles. I'm taught of the Lord. And then he said this, when he met the apostles, his statement was, I am the least of the apostles. Because now he came into relationship with something he had not experienced. People who had walked with Jesus, the human being. And Paul had not. So Paul recognized that what he had was powerful and mighty. He wrote half of the New Testament, but he didn't have what those original apostles had. And he said, I am least. I am the least of these. And then he goes on through some circumstances in life and, you know, people betraying, cut by people and hurt by people. I know we all want to pick the people that hurt us. It doesn't work that way. 
(laughs) You won't be able to shield yourself enough when God wants to do a work in you because you are a bought possession. That means you and I belong to Jesus. And that means we've given him the right and the prerogative to do what he wills, his pleasure with our lives. So after Paul went through some circumstances and some more relationship stuff with the apostles and then went through some more circumstances, he says this. He says, I am the least of the saints. So now he's encountering people that now he recognizes are still different from him and have something that he didn't have. I mean, he had it by faith, but he didn't have it by experience. And so when he got around this group, I'm the first, I'm the least of the apostles, then I'm the least of the saints, and then he says, I'm the least of the, I'm the, I'm the chief sinner. Look at the, and there's one, there's four, but, and, and, and I can provide these, these scriptures for you. But the point that I'm making is his progression was downward to go up. Religion teaches you to go up, that you don't have to go down. But Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, says, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm the least of the saints. I'm the chief sinner. Oh, my gosh. And why has all this happened? Because as he has been illuminated as the light, as he has come to the light, as he's come and he's adhered to truth, he receives the truth, and his life, his whole being is changed. His whole being is animated. So coming to the light is not a one-and-done event. It's a process. It's about being in the light, sitting in the light, and being comfortable with yourself and with God and whomever he assigns for your development, not trying to control them. You know, I coach folks, and one of the most difficult things is when people come and ask me for help in coaching and then want to proceed to tell me how to coach them. Now, if I could see your face, you guys would probably be falling all over the floor laughing because you would be like, well, why is somebody coming to you to ask for help then proceed to tell you how to help them? So while we're laughing and in that moment, all of us at some level, somewhere, somewhere in our life, probably can relate to that experience. Why? Because we want to manage that person's access and how they deliver what they deliver to us. But I'll tell you what, when you're a lover of the truth, I liken it to having a baby. There comes a point when having a baby, you don't care who sees what on your body. You want the baby out. You want your freedom back. And it It doesn't matter who's in the room. Now, some of us may hold on to that, but I'm going to tell you, there was a point. I delivered two babies, and there was a point I did not care who saw what. I wanted the baby out. I wanted their freedom, but I wanted my own back. They were borrowing. They were living off my freedom. I wanted it back, and it didn't matter to me. Many years ago, and, you know, I debated whether to share this with you, Because, you know, when we're teaching, we typically don't do stuff like this. And I know I'm probably, I don't know how Amy is going to even respond when I say this. Guys, let me tell you, I didn't even run this time. I didn't run this example by. (laughs) So we'll just see how she deals with it when she gets on at the end. (laughs) But we can know that she'll be kind, at least on the phone. (laughs) And I'll tell you what happens if it's different off the phone. But listen, many years ago, God began to deal with me about sexual sin, and I, and I didn't want to come to the light. You know, I, I was ashamed. 
You know, I knew the things that I had done, not just what had happened to me, but decisions I made to take part in things. And I was, you know, I was so uncomfortable. It was like there was this turmoil on the inside of me because the Holy Spirit was in me, living in my spirit. The fullness of God is in my, my spirit. And yet, in this area of my life, the spirit of I had not allowed God into my soul. So my soul was in torment and and, and intention between wanting to, 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 to bring this to God but scared at the same time, fearing his judgment. I didn't know the scripture that I just read to you. I didn't understand, John 3, that God wasn't in the business of condemning me. That's not his goal. I didn't know that I was no longer under the judgment because I believed in Jesus Christ, only in the area that I refused to believe. Oh, my gosh, only in the area that I refused to believe I was operating underneath a judgment. And so I felt condemned because that's what judgment does. It, it is condemning. But the devil also condemns too. But I wasn't at that place yet to call this the devil's condemnation because I hadn't dealt with my reality. And then I had this, and then, and I, I didn't know, I didn't know um, that the Bible says in uh, Isaiah, I think it's 118, it says, come let us reason together that I might acquit you of sin. For though your sins be as scarlet, I will wash them whiter than snow. That was not a living reality to me. I had said the verses, but it wasn't a living word to me. And so without being armed or having that understanding, I was terrified about going to God because I knew instinctively that my choices were wrong in that they violated the word and the will of God. And I, you know, I was so, I, I, you know, and then, and then I had this encounter with God and I remember, and I'll share the encounter with you. I'm not going to go into details. And for those waiting with bated breath, I'm not going to tell you what the sins were. Um, but I think those of you that are struggling, you hear me and you hear what you need to hear. Um, I was sitting on, set, kneeled on the floor in my living room. And this is, this is the first time I came to God with this, this sexual sin. And I was kneeling on the floor in my living room. And before I could get any words out, it was like the tears just rolled from my eyes. It was like I couldn't even get the words out. And before I could open my mouth, the Lord recited Jeremiah to me. He said, before you were born, I knew you. And before you were, before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I chose you. I chose you, and I chose you knowing everything you would ever be, do, now, present, future, from this day forward, and I still chose you to be my mouthpiece. That's what he said. I chose you. I choose you. But I didn't even hear the last part of it. I just, I choose you. That's what I heard deeply in my choice. And then he said this to me. I'll never forget these words. He said, you are able to to cry. You're able to tear because the tears are falling from heaven first and I'm entering into your suffering. 
Oh, my God, the ability for you to cry with a godly sorrow right now is because I cried first, because I knew this day would come and you would come to the light, in essence. Oh, my gosh. But even after that conversation, it was a life-altering experience that I had with God in a moment of sovereignty that he had with me. Why could he be that with me? One, because he reclaimed my sovereignty, and therefore I could. I could go to God without permission, without a priest, without going to the elders. I could go and confess and lay out before him and talk to him about what I had done. And when I got up, I felt a pervasive sense of of, um, forgiveness in my body. I can't explain it, but my whole body was illuminated with things called with this thing called forgiveness. Seriously. I it didn't matter what anybody would say to me in that moment forward. And I'm telling you, uh it took me a while, but at, at, and after that, after I had that moment with God, I still wasn't safe, didn't feel safe with Christian people because Christian people can be some of the most judgmental people at the wrong time, in the wrong place, with the wrong people, that it makes it difficult for us to show up and be honest about our reality, past, present, or, you know, or what we're in or or doing now. So, you know, but I did. God gave me the courage to, you know, talk first to someone that was very close to me, and I talked to them. And I confessed what I, see, I confessed. I didn't just go on and focus on that, I confessed, and I was willing to discuss what I had done with a human being. And I found that I received forgiveness from God and freedom from God that was confirmed as I began to tell my story. But I had the freedom to do that now because now even those that did judge me, and I'll tell you the response was in some cases horrific, horrific. And wait a minute, I'm bringing myself to the light, I'm telling on myself, and the response is horrific. So from this, you know, I mean, I just gained all kinds of strength and courage. I'm sharing this for two reasons, guys. If you haven't been paying attention in the world, we are in a time of exposure. If we think that God is going to expose what is happening in the world sexually, and not expose it in the church, then we are grossly naive and do not understand that although we are light, we must become what we are, that that light must shine in the dark places, converting them, changing them. The Bible says the law of the Lord or the light of the Lord is perfect for converting the soul. Your spirit has been reborn in the image of Christ, but your soul must be changed into the image. And so I know that there's, you know, in light of all that's going on in the world, and, you know, God keeps giving us opportunities. I know that there's at least one person on this call that's perhaps struggling with sexual sin. You you may have already talked with God about it, but you need the freedom of confessing and bringing that thing into the light of relationship where there's love, forgiveness, and if need be, direction. I know for me, my process, it just didn't include 
um, talking with God, talking with man, but then it also included submitting to a process. And so I went through 12 weeks of deliverance. Yes. And then the Lord had me teach on what I learned. So, guys, this isn't a one and done, I confess my sin, oh, let's just keep moving. God is interested in your soul. He saved your spirit. It is for you and I to give our soul back to him. And we do that through sovereignty. The second reason uh, I shared it is because of what I'm teaching. If we don't bring ourselves to the light, then the light will come crashing in on our darkness at the most inopportune times. Now, when we sin, it's going to be embarrassing either way, but it is much more, it's much easier when we bring ourselves to the light. In Mark 4.22, it says, Jesus speaks, for there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed and nothing concealed that will not be brought to the light. So, Father, we need you now. Lord, you've been gracious to, to me and to so many others giving us opportunity after opportunity to respond to the truth, to come to the light, and we haven't, God. Lord, you know how long, Father, it took me to come to the light. You know how long, God. And, Father, you were merciful to me. You were merciful, God. Lord, some of us on this call fear judgment, but, Lord, your word is true. Let every man be a liar. You said, come let us reason together that we might be acquitted, which is a legal term. It's after you have heard a case, you throw it out. You've been acquitted. You've been set free of the charges. You are, I mean, you're acquitted. It's like you're innocent. I mean, you are. You are. In Christ, we're innocent, Father. And so, Lord, we thank you that you didn't send Jesus in the world to condemn us, but that we could be spared judgment. And so, Father, it's our desire tonight, whoever we are, to come and reason with you and those that you've given us. And for those whose sins are as scarlet, God, may they be washed whiter than snow, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Father God, I know that we're a finished work in Christ. But also, God, we are a progressive work. Our soul is being converted. For you said, don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. And so, Father, I pray grace and strength to those who've been convicted by the testimony you accomplished in me, according to John 3. And, Father, if you do not stay the hand of the enemy, of our enemy in this matter, and for the duration of this opportunity, for some it represents the umpteenth opportunity. For some it's the first opportunity. But whatever the window of opportunity it is for each one, Lord, I pray that you would grace and strengthen them and stay the hand of the enemy, that we would find the courage to follow through and come to the light with your help and the help of the Holy Spirit and faith and all of those on this call whom you have already set free from sexual sin, Lord, and who know the freedom of confession and, confession and obedience. Lord, we join our faith with these now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.
And so I just want you to let you know we're a safe place here. If you want to talk about it or share your freedom, you can email me always at Kim at more on relationships.com. I answer my own emails. I have access to my own emails. No one has access to my own email, to my emails. So I want you to be um, very confident in that. I respond to my own emails. You will not get a, a refined, processed answer from me. So we bless you in Jesus' name. We don't have time to do the whole piece, but I want to give you the, 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 uh, the beginning of the second part. I didn't mean to detour that long, but, you know, you know, you follow the Spirit of God, and I just believe if we're in an hour of exposure, I would be remiss if the people of God didn't have every opportunity to come to the light that our souls might be redeemed and display the finished work of Jesus Christ. The second thing that we have to do to come to the light is that we must walk in the light. We have to follow the light. You know, and follow the light. We must, we must come to the light. We must follow the light wherever it leads. Following the light is about walking in the light. The Bible says a whole lot about walking in the light. So coming to the light is about being comfortable in the light. When you live in the light, people say to me, how can you share that? Because I live in the light. And see, when you're truly free, you have the testimony without the sting of sin because God removes the sting of death from your testimony. Oh, my gosh, what a beautiful feeling. But following the light means to walk in the light. Remember John eight twelve, which I read in the, in the beginning. Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. So we've got to follow the light if we're to become the light. We must follow Jesus, the word of God, and light, and the light of the world, as he calls himself, if we're going to mature in our lightness. We are the light, but we must become the light. Listen to this, John eleven eight 8 through 10. His disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks during the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks during the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now, they thought just solely he was talking about the natural light. But Jesus here is also talking about the spiritual light of truth. Well, how do you know? Because John, 1 John says, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, you have fellowship with one another. So he's not talking about necessarily just the natural light, although that is prudent. It is easier to, to get around and move in natural light than when it is dark, lest we have some artificial light that we're, we're using. So, you know, he's talking about walking in truth. Remember, light is truth. How do we come to the light? By living by the truth. How do we come, well, how do we follow the light? By walking in truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So this isn't about being sin focused. It's about learning to live by truth and having fellowship with each other such that we are constantly being cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And it says, but if anyone walks during the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Your ability to follow the light 
and walk in the light is because the light is in you. John 12, 34 through 36 says, the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. Why do you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said to him, yet a little while the light is with you. He's speaking of himself. Walk while you have light. While I'm with you, absorb this. Eat this up, guys. Lest darkness overtake you. In other words, consume yourself of me. Consume me while I'm here. Lest the darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. Now, let me just point something quickly out for those of you who are struggling with, well, we are the light. We are the finished work of Jesus Christ. These are Jesus' words, not Kim Moore. In verse 36, it says, while you have light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. So we must become what we are. We are the sons of God, but we must become the sons of God. That means we must mature. Jesus said these things and departed and hid themselves from them. Last verses that I want to read, and and we'll kind of end on this, and I won't take a super deep dive, but I encourage you to go back and read this uh, for yourself. It says in Ephesians 5, Six. It says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. So there are sons that are disobedient. But the, the words that I want you to grab hold of for just a moment, because we'll go on and read that, but I, I have to pause here because we have to understand what he's talking about. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, The wrath of God is coming. So what of these things? So what things is he talking about? Well, we have to go back up to verse 3 where it says, And do not let sexual immorality or any impurity or greed be named among you as these things are not proper among the saints. It's not, we're not to be named. You know, there is what I call a trifecta between sexual immorality, greed, and power. Where you find greed and power, you often find sexual immorality. Where you find greed and power, you will often find sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. I don't know the order of what it ha- which it happens. I just know when there's sexual, when there's greed and lust for power, Sex is usually a part of it. Guys, just go look at what's happening in the world and what's being exposed. When you think of these individuals that are being exposed, there has been sex, greed for money, and power. And if you and I think that that spirit has escaped the church, then you and I would be very naive. We're very naive. It says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting. You know, one of the things I I like to consider here is sarcasm. Sarcasm is not funny. There are people that I know that are just sarcastic, and they think it's cool when people laugh. But sarcasm, there is always someone at the brunt of that joke or that sarcasm. There's always a hint of truth in the sarcasm, so it's not funny. Sarcasm is not a gift. It's a defense. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse joking, which is not fitting. Instead, give thanks. 
For this you know, that no sexually immoral or impure person or one who is greedy or an idolater, idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Then verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, those things listed, so what would make their words empty if he lists all of these things? Could it be just for your consideration? Could it be, since Paul was talking to Christians, the saints at Ephesus, could it be they were saying things that they were not living and so their words were hollow because they had no life connected to them? In other words, they were hypocrites. Just for your consideration, could empty words be from ones whose the words that they're delivering is not the lifestyle they're digesting? Just to consider, because Paul is writing to believers, not unbelievers here. Then he goes on to say, therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness. Listen, you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the world in the lord walk as children of the light for the fruit of the spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth proving what is pleasing to the lord and do not have fellowship with the unfruitful work of fruitful works of darkness instead expose them for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret But all things are exposed when they are revealed by the light. You are the light. You must become the light because it is your life, which is the light of the world, which which is the testimony of Christ, which will expose darkness. And your life will expose darkness quicker than your words. Your life will expose darkness. There are some people that can show up in a place and they just, for some reason, they just command attention. Now, I will admit some of that is just demonic as it can be. Here's the thing, guys. You know, I believe in the last day we're going to see an increase in the supernatural signs and wonders. But I also believe that not all the soup signs and wonders and supernatural will be orchestrated by the Father. I do believe that with the increase of the supernatural, Satan will have his little minions and his little imps performing signs and wonders, fooling those that have not reclaimed their sovereignty, but are following, just following, just agreeing, not questioning, not looking into the word for themselves. I tell you all the time, even the things that I teach, go back. And if you find something that I'm saying that is discrepant, that, that's discrepant, that presents a discrepancy for you, then, hey, you're, tell me about it. You know, if I'm misunderstanding something, I want to remain at a place to be clarified, to be helped, because I want to walk in the light. And each one of you are light in some area, and yet God is making you light or you're becoming light in other areas. He said, but all things are exposed when they are revealed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Father, I thank you for your word tonight. And Lord, you know my desire was to go deeper even into walking in the light. For, Lord, to become the light, to mature in this thing called light, we must first come to the light, to be comfortable in the light with you and with others. Then, Lord, we also must learn how to walk in the light. 
Lord, if we're going to stand in the light, we first practice by walking. Lord, I just thank you. Listen, guys, I just want to give you an analogy because I like to leave you with pictures because pictures with words, I don't know, sometimes they just amplify things for me. Um, but if you think of a child, a child does not, uh, you, if you think of a child that, that has not started walking yet, you don't start with walking. A child doesn't start with standing. A child starts, and, and Amy could even be more specific than, than my little high over, but basically a, a child starts with learning how to roll over, then, you know, lift his head, roll over, then sit up. And by sitting, they develop the strength in their legs to walk. But when babies start walking first, I mean, start, yeah, start walking first, do you ever notice they cannot, they don't stand still? They're always looking to grab something. Why? Because they don't have stability in, in, inside of their legs alone. So they grab hold to mommy's leg or daddy's leg. They grab hold to something fixed to stabilize themselves. It's only through regular walking. When a baby starts walking, you, you're just waiting for the fall because you know it's coming. They may be on the carpet, and the first time they take a few steps, we're all, ooh, gaga, yay, la, la, la. And then before you know it, they hit the floor. Right? Why? Because they don't have the strength yet to stand. So is the case with many in the body of Christ. We must sit in the light. Because sitting in the light, we gain the strength. When I sat with Jesus and Neil, the Father, I gained the strength to be able to tell my story to others. And it was in the talking of my story that I gained the strength to stand and enable to share things at God's bidding. So whatever God wants to share of my life and to whomever, it's not my life. And because he's removed the sting and the pain of suffering and the death of it, I'm just excited, ecstatic. And I want that for you in Jesus' name. Well, guys, I'm going to end there. But before I do, I want to thank you guys. I should have done it at the top of the hour, um, but I want to do it now. Um, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. If, if we were in a place where I could show you, I was able with your kindness and your investments into the work that God has given me to keep writing, I was able to purchase a computer and um, I'm going to get my son-in-law to help me set it up properly, and, and uh, we'll be good to go. So I want to uh, appreciate you and thank you uh, so much for your kindness, uh, for your sacrifices, for your belief in the work God has given me to do in Jesus' name. Thank you, thank you, thank you so very, very much. Amy? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. We're so excited about the computer coming in. Thank you guys so much. So, so very much. And um, Kim, just as you were talking about coming to the light, it is so important. And I think particularly even as you mentioned sexual sin, it there's a lot of shame around sexual sin and especially for women. So I just, if, if you're out there and you've been sexually abused or you're dealing with sexual sin and need some guidance, please do contact us, email Kim. Um, we would be glad to, you know, to help orient you because none of us can do this alone and shame is not from the Lord and um, getting in the light can truly bring healing. He, he brings such healing. So, and if you're listening via replay or podcast, we will include 
contact information on this episode um, if you need or desire to contact us. And I'd like to give the um, replay number. It is 605-475-4980. The access code is 341-000-POUND. And tonight's reference number is 166-POUND. Thank you guys for being on with us via phone or podcast, Facebook, and YouTube. We love you, and we will see you next week. God bless you.